0: Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. He was so connected to God that it was obvious. And so in in chapter 7 of Acts, we see that as they were stoning Stephen and they were killing him, does anybody know what he prayed? Father, don't hold this sin against them. In the middle of the persecution, in the middle of the stoning, in the middle of of a horrific scene, in the middle of a loss of life where this guy was losing his life for his faith, instead of being angry, instead of crying out for help to God, his one prayer was not for himself, it wasn't for his loved ones, it wasn't for... Anyone or anything else except those that were killing him. And in that moment, his prayer was Father, don't hold this against them. That is a radical difference. That is a radical difference to how our culture treats enemies. It's a radical difference to how we've seen division play out over and over and over again in our culture. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on, I don't care what side of uh, of any issue you're on, the bottom line is to follow Christ is to be different. And Stephen embodied that even as he was dying. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. And that prayer reminds me of another prayer. Does it remind you of another prayer? What was it, Matt? As Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As he was dying, Jesus gives us this example of what prayer ultimately looks like. Prayer is not only a prayer for us and for ours, it's not only a prayer for protection and for health and safety. It's not only a prayer for those that we love, it is also a prayer for those we dislike, for those who are our enemies. For those that we don't see eye to eye with. For those that there is contention. As we've been going through this. Through this series, we've been looking at prayer and what Jesus taught about prayer. And ultimately, I think this is one of the, this is one of the most powerful aspects of prayer. One that we miss all the time. One that at least let me own it, that I miss all the time. It's a part of prayer that is not easy for me, and I'm guessing it's not easy for you. It's that part of prayer where we surrender our right, our will, our position, and we say, Father, forgive them. Today we're looking at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. It's the end of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going backwards. Last week we've kind of looked at chapter 6 and what it taught on prayer. Then we looked at chapter 7 and what it taught on prayer. Now we're going back to chapter 5 of Matthew, and we're looking at this. I wanted to come back to this, and by the way, I didn't plan this, or when I planned this, I didn't plan on this being Father's Day, but it works Perfectly with this verse. I'm always blown away at how God works that out. So we've gone from chapter 6 to chapter 7. Now we're going back to chapter 5, and this is one of the first things Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says about prayer. But I think it's one that we really need to hear today, and it's one that's the hardest. That's why I've waited to now to come back to it. As we've gone through these series looking at what prayer means, now we're coming back to this part that is one of the hardest aspects of prayer. This is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I'm going to stop there for a second and let's go back to verse 43. You have heard it said. Now this is a series of, I think it's six statements that Jesus has come to. And in these six statements, he's saying, this is what you've heard. This is pop theology. This is what the culture says. But I say to you, So in verse 43, he says, you have heard it said, what is it? You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that's actually a quote from the Old Testament, except the second half of that. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say hate your enemy. It does, however, say you shall love your neighbor. So why does Jesus say you have heard it said and quote part of that as scripture and the other part not? It's because the second part was an implied understanding in the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, what of Jesus' day, what was most important was, was people like me. It was the Israelites. And so when there were questions, when there were specific instructions, like love your neighbor, neighbor was limited to Israelite. So, hey, William, can we go back to verse 43? So it says, you have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so it never says hate your enemy in the Old Testament. But the implication is if you love your neighbor, if you love the people like you, if you love your fellow Israelite, if you love the person who is fill in the blank for you, comfortable, looks like you, talks like you, thinks like you, That's what we often think of as neighbor. That's what the Israelites thought of as neighbor. Neighbor is the people who I feel most comfortable with. Who I have most in common with. Who I can walk into a room and not not feel like there's anything that's uncomfortable with it at all. That's what the Israelites thought. And so the follow-up to that, the implication was, well, if I love my neighbor, the people like me, then I must dislike, strongly dislike, those who aren't like me. And that was kind of the thought, the prevailing thought in the culture of Jesus's day. And it's become the prevailing thought of Twitter. And it's come the prevailing thought of Facebook. And it's become the prevailing thought of most people who walk around. How many of you honestly have read a post, whether it's a Twitter post, a Facebook post, or whatever, and you've gotten angry at the whoever the other person was? So much so that if they were in the room, you would want to throw punch them. I mean, seriously, some of you have been there. I understand that. That's kind of what pop theology said in Jesus' day. Eh, love those that are like you, the Israelites, the ones who are good, the ones that are my people and your people. Don't like anybody else. So, what Jesus is tapping into is pop. Culture and pop theology. He's saying, This is what pop culture and pop theology says to you. And this is what Twitter culture and Facebook culture says to you. This is what our culture has grown to. It's grown to this us versus them. And that's absolutely unbiblical and it's not like Jesus. And Jesus is confronting it head on. He's saying, No, you think it's them versus me. But I say to you, You think pop culture and pop theology is okay, but my way of knowing God and living for God is different. Jesus is calling us to a radical position. One that Stephen displayed as he was being stoned to death. Could you imagine being pelted with rocks to the point that you die? Not every stone, and they would have been big. If you walk around Israel long enough, you see that there's large stones here and there. And and they would pick up these large stones and pelt you with them. There would be broken limbs and abrasions, and there would be knocked out teeth and broken jaws before there was death. And in the middle of that, Stephen says, don't hold this against them. You've heard it said, love your, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, what's interesting in verse 44 are there two verbs here, love and pray. In fact, that's what I entitled the sermon today. Love and pray. Both of these verbs are imperatives. That means they're Commands. They're not, I want you to, or I wish for you to, or it'd be really good if you. It is an imperative. It's a command. We don't get a choice. Love. Pray. But not only are they imperatives, they're both present verbs, which means they're ongoing actions. So continually love your enemies continually pray for those who are different than you that persecute you that you don't like that you would disagree with continually love continually pray now what's interesting about the verbs where they're different though is love is a present active indicative I mean imperative which means You're the one that's supposed to generate the love. Love is something that you do as an individual. It's your choice. So you have to choose to do it. You have to choose to love your enemies continuously. But it's an imperative. The second verb pray is a middle verb, which means it is a verb where the person acting is both acting and acted upon. Think about that for a second. When we pray, we both act and we're acted upon. Prayer is not just us, it's God working in us and through us. Does that make sense? A middle verb in Greek means that we participate, but that there is another force that is coming involved and participating in this prayer. So what he's saying is continually, you choose to continually love your enemies and join me and let me join you in praying for those who persecute you continually. Invite me into who you are. Invite me into the core of your being. Invite me into your heart so that I can begin to change you. I can do my work on you. I'm the one who gives you love. I'm the one who prays with and through and for I know that's kind of a hard concept for us because our verbs don't function like this in English. It's a different whole concept, but because it's a different concept of language, it's a different concept of thought. So when Jesus says continually love your enemies, he's saying you choose to do it, but also continually pray for those. And as you continually pray, I'm acting upon you as you're praying for them. What that tells us in short, is that when we pray for people that we don't like, when we pray for our enemies, when we pray for those who persecute you or persecute us and hate us, God changes us as much as He's working at changing them. And what I found is that when I pray and I involve God and then I allow Him to change me, He changes me more than anything else. Prayer changes me. The hardest thing to do is pray for someone you don't like. Pray for someone who's hurt you. Pray for someone who's persecuted you. Pray for someone that's not like you. Pray for someone that makes you angry. Pray for someone who has has a vendetta against you. Pray for someone. It's dangerous and it's hard. Because God changes not only them, but He also changes you. Prayer is a system in which we interact with the God of the universe and his heart, his light, his way of being filters into us. And then we express it to the world. You've heard it say, Jesus says, pop culture, pop theology, Twitter, Facebook, Says, but I say. And why do we do this? Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and and the unjust. By the way, I always read this and thought that rain was bad, but understand rain in a desert is a good thing. So when you read rain here, read life-giving. So God treats everybody the same. When he brings the sun and the rain which grow the vegetables for for, uh, a, a, a culture that's built on agriculture, Sun and rain are both good things, right? They're the they're kind of the, the root of what of what makes everything work and go. And so he says, if God show, shares sun and rain on everybody, if he's not saying, okay, I don't like that farmer over there, so I'm not going to rain on his field, but I'm going to like that one, I'm going to rain on his field, then that's God not being God. Instead, God sends the sun and the rain everywhere on the good and the bad, the evil and the bad and the just. So if God's like that, then we should be like that. Why? Because we are sons of the Father who is in heaven. Isn't that amazing that it's Father's Day and here we are talking about our Heavenly Father. Here's the point of this. He's saying that we ought to live out the character of our Father. I like the way this one, this one person put it. He says that to love and to be a son of the Father and to pray for our enemies, to do that. We take on the character of the Father. That our reward as sons is we become like Him in character, not by name only. Did you hear that? We become like Christ, who is like the Father in our character, not by our name only. And that's what this verse means. So if we want to be like God and like Christ, if we want to live out the life that he has for us, we have to take on his character, not just his name. We have a lot of Christians who are walking around with Christian tagged in their profile on their different social media platforms, but they don't act like Christ, they just have his name. Preach it. And it's true, right? How many people do you know that carry the moniker, Christian? But if you look at their lives, you're not really seeing Christ. So what Jesus is saying is if we really want to live into the life that the father has for us, we take on his character. And how do we do that? We do that through our prayer life as he changes us as we pray and he acts upon us. And in this matter, more than any, we can see God moving, I think. In this way, more than any, our culture needs to see what it really means to be Christ-like. Not just by name, but by character. Do people see Christ in us? The world sees division and hatred and anger. Are we showing love? And are we praying for those who are not like us? The character of God is that he loves unconditionally. Again, amen. I love it. He says this in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? I mean, everybody can return love for love. That's the whole, you give and I take and then I give back and you take and it's just this, it's reciprocal. Their culture was built on reciprocity. If someone invited you to dinner, you had to invite them back. If someone did something for you, you had to do it back for them. Uh, There was all sorts of this, this give and take with one another. It was, it was built on reciprocity. And what he's saying here is that everyone can do that. He even goes so far as to say, do not even the tax collectors do the same. The tax collectors were the worst, despicable people in their culture. And if you greet only your brothers, those that are like you, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? But you, therefore, must be perfect as your father is perfect. Now, some of you all lost right there. You're thinking, "Whoa, hold up!" I, and I'll pray for those. I'll try this whole praying for my enemy thing, but you lost me at perfect. Wait a second. But this word "perfect" means complete or total. In other words, you must take on the the total, complete character of God, not just the parts you pick and choose. And that's where I think most of us live, if we're honest, isn't it? Oh yeah, I want the character of God in my life, but this part over here, not so much. <laughs> yes, I want the I want the character of God. I, I want I want to love other people. I want to you know I want to be a good person. I want to do good for the world. I want to impact the world. All those things, but this part about loving enemies, eh, I don't want to take on that character of God. You mean I have to forgive this person over here who has hurt me this badly? Now I like holding on to that. What, what Matthew reports here is Jesus saying to close this section on the Sermon on the Mount is know that if you're going to take the name You take the character, and it's the complete character of God. It doesn't mean you're always going to get it right. It doesn't mean that you're not going to stumble and fall. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means that if you're going to be a Christ follower, then you're taking on the complete character of Christ, not the parts that you pick and choose. So if you, in your faith, pick and choose what you want to believe from Scripture, if you pick and choose what you want to believe about what it means to be holy, if you pick and choose what you want then you're not taking on the complete character of Christ. You're shopping at the supermarket of faith. And you're choosing the things you want. And like I said a few weeks ago, you're spending probably a little too much time on the cookie aisle and the, and the cereal aisle. The stuff that's good. Mm, give me some cookie. But you must be perfect, complete. Take on the complete character as your father's character is complete. This is a weird way of wording it, but that's what he's saying. Take on the complete. You can't have just a part of it. You can't have the parts that you pick and choose. God's not a vending machine. Your faith isn't a vending machine. And so prayer... One of the hardest parts of prayer is when we step back and we say, you know what, I'm going to love, continually love my enemies, and I'm going to continually pray for those who aren't like me, who I dislike, who dislike me, who disagree with me, who hate me. And as I do that, God changes me, and ultimately, God changes them. The first century church changed the globe and exploded all because of this thought. It was what Jesus said from the cross. Father, forgive them for they not. I don't know what they're doing. It's what Stephen said in in Acts as he was getting murdered with stones. Father, don't hold this against them. And if you go and you look at first century martyrs over and over and over and over again, as they were dying, they were praying similar prayers. God, forgive them. And there was such a power in that that people took note. Because we are most like Christ, as I've said this before, when we are forgiving, when we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. When we first moved to Mobile, I went, I don't know, to a restaurant or a store somewhere, I can't remember where it was. I don't remember the setting, but I remember the face. I walk in and this guy, you have you ever caught that out of the corner of your eye, you're like, that guy's that person's like staring at me, right? And I walk in and I do that uncomfortable like is he looking? Yeah, he's looking at me. Is he still? Yeah, he's still looking at me. And so finally you have to make that decision. Am I going to turn and face this guy? Or am I just going to keep walking and like, weirdo, you know? <laughs> and so I walk in, I'm looking, and I'm, I'm like, hey, how you doing? And the guy looks like a ghost. His jaw drops, literally, jaw drops. I can remember the guy's face. Jaw drops and goes, or are you Billy McGee's son? (laughs) I was in Mobile, Alabama. Now, I used to get that quite a bit when we lived in Montgomery. My dad grew up in Montgomery, was very involved with people all over Montgomery. It seemed like everywhere we went growing up, people knew my dad, right? But in Mobile, Alabama, I got away from that. I'm like, first, you know, this was within the first month of being here. I'm like, yes, it's a fresh start. No one knows me here. This is awesome. Billy McGee's son? Now, there's two things about that. (laughs) One is, I don't know if that's always the way you want to be known as Billy McGee's son. Just kidding, Dad. Love you. But the second thing was, I was that recognizable. Now, it wasn't my character because he just saw me walk in. It was... It was my look, and by the way, I did have, for those of you inquisitive minds who wanna know, yes, I had hair at the time. It was bad, but I did have hair. It was, I was losing it quickly, but I did have hair. He said, you talk like him, you look like him, you stand like him, you walk like him. And I haven't seen your dad in 30 years. I was that marked. Now, unfortunately for me, I was that marked. But there's a lesson in that, right? Here's the lesson for us today. When we walk into a room, do people see our Heavenly Father? Not by the way we look, but by the way we speak, by the way we hold ourselves, by our character, By the way we are kind and we love. Do people see the character of God the Father in us? Are we marked by our Father in every aspect of our life? Particularly, do we love our enemies continually? And do we continually pray for those our enemies who aren't like us who persecute us if we want to take on the character of god then we have to learn from jesus from the cross father forgive him i hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you but i also hope that it was challenging and as always don't just hear it put it into action Until next week, have a great one.